Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, Micah Van Hus reveals another marginal mystery, and Jonathan Brentner offers hope in chaotic times as he discusses his book, The Triumph of the Redeemed. Each year, Southwest Radio Ministries creates a unique calendar filled with scripture, comfort, and inspiration from God's Word. And we're privileged to put these together for you and to know that you are then armed with His truth for the year to come. This year's calendar theme is Unseen Israel. This 16-month calendar spans September 2023 to December 2024, and it features beautiful photographs that reveal sites not often visited by tour groups or It focuses on views that many miss while they're taking in other sites. These locations are important in understanding the history and culture of ancient Israel. You can order your Unseen Israel calendar today. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order these beautiful calendars at our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. We also partner with each of you who purchase a calendar to encourage inmates through our Onesimus Prison Ministry. For every calendar you order, a calendar will be given to an inmate free of charge. Order your calendar and encourage an inmate. Calendars are here and ready to ship today. Order yours when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Where does your mind run to in the midst of adversity? How do you cope with these perilous times that touch all our lives in some significant way? Although most believers say they possess a hope of living forever in heaven, more often than not they pin their expectations on temporal outcomes when battered by the storms of life. The triumph of the redeemed reveals how the specifics of our eternal inheritance enable us to put the chaos that surrounds us into a biblical prophetic framework that both calms and encourages our hearts. I'm Staff Evangelist Josh Davis, and I recently had the opportunity to speak with Jonathan Brentner about this wonderful topic. We're excited to welcome back to Watchmen on the Wall author and Christian teacher Jonathan Brentner. Jonathan, we welcome you back to Watchmen on the Wall. Thanks. So glad to be here again and have the opportunity to talk about this book. We are talking about his book, The Triumph of the Redeemed. This is a wonderful Mm -hmm. resource that you want to add to your library, friends, because it's a very helpful guide to the end times. It's filled with a message of hope. You know, the study of the end times shouldn't leave us in fear. It shouldn't leave us with anxiety. It certainly shouldn't leave us uh, depressed and hanging our heads and wringing our hands, saying, woe is me, what am we going to do? This world is falling apart. No, we have hope. We have triumph because of Jesus. Uh, Jonathan, let's, let's go into your book and uh, marvelous resource okay. that it is. How should understanding Bible prophecy change our lives right now? Okay, first of all, and and I probably didn't touch on this in the book, but it does enhance our spiritual growth in a number of ways. And 1 John 1, 3-1 tells us that our focus on Jesus appearing 
enhances our purity, leads to purity in, in our lives. And the second thing is it helps us focus on eternal realities rather than temporal ones. And it also helps us to stand firm in our faith. It's interesting that after Paul talked about the rapture in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, in Philippians 4, 1, he says, therefore, you know, stand firm in your faith because of this hope that we have that someday Jesus will give us immortal and imperishable bodies. And we see the same thing in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, where after Paul talks about the rapture and the fact that death has been defeated, he uses that as an encouragement for believers to remain steadfast in their faith and remain diligent in their service for him, knowing that they're going to receive a reward because he's coming again. And besides all that, it gives us reassuring insight into the lawlessness and violence of our world. And there are many times that I don't know if I could cope with all the things I see that are going on if I didn't have a hope that Jesus is coming again someday, and he's going to be a fair judge of this world as he judges the sins and its wickedness during the tribulation. Absolutely, and we're looking forward to the day that we get to go home to be with him. And I know that you are committed to helping believers understand God's Word, and, and unbelievers as well, but understanding that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have hope because we're on the winning side. We have Jesus. So how can a proper understanding of Bible prophecy ease that anxiety that sometimes we are prone to feel when we think about the future and what may unfold down the road? First of all, it eases our our anxiety because it focuses on the joy before us rather than the gloom and destruction of our current world. As the wickedness grows more worse than I ever imagined it could be, we still can look into God's Word, into Scripture, and see that we have a glorious hope that He's coming back. Some of the passages that that we'll be talking about during our interviews, you know, bring this out, especially 1 Corinthians 15, 50-54, and 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. They all speak to the great hope that we have. And The reason I'm so excited about the triumph of the redeemed is that I really wanted to give believers, I really wanted to lay out for them the foundation of our biblical hope and for why we believe what we do. And so often they don't hear about this in churches. In fact, I can't remember ever hearing a pastor emphasize the fact that we're going to receive glorious bodies someday. And that's probably the best news especially for someone old like me, that's the best news you could ever hear. Mm. And besides that, in so many churches, the pastors tell them that the church is a solid basis for their hope rather than Jesus, and that is just so wrong. But Mm. it seems to be that so many churches believe that the church is going to somehow rise up and defeat the evils of our world, but that is not what the Bible teaches. Our hope should not be in a bunch of redeemed sinners rising up and changing the world. No, it's in Jesus coming for us, and he will change the world. Amen. Well, the name of the book is The Triumph of the Redeemed, and your subtitle leads us into the next question, an eternal perspective that calms our fears in perilous times. That's a great subtitle. 
you talk about this two-world perspective, and that becomes a major theme to what you discuss early on in the book. Can you unpack that for us? What is a two-world perspective of the gospel? Okay. I believe that 1 Corinthians four seventeen and 18, Paul writes, For this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so this two-world perspective involves emphasizing the things that are unseen, the eternal realities, and it's not that we give up on our temporary aspirations, our temporary goals. It's not that we never plan, but we do so loosely, realizing that the time is short and that the Lord could call us home at any moment. Another verse I like to refer to in this regard is Romans 8.18, for it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And there Paul, with all the tremendous suffering and afflictions he endured carrying the gospel to various places in the Roman Empire. You know, he said that the glory ahead for him has far outweighed all his suffering. And so it's not only putting an emphasis on eternal realities, it's also realizing that they are so much more valuable than our present ones. So again, it's not that we forget current responsibilities or our current lives. It's just that we're also mindful that of eternity and realize that that's going to be so much better than anything we possess now. Regardless, even if you're rather well-to-do in America and have everything you need, eternity is going to be so much better than you can imagine. Absolutely. And Paul's verses that you touched on there, where he called it that light momentary affliction. That has always jumped out at me because all the suffering that he just listed off and everything that he went through, then to be able to look mm-hmm. back and to call it light and momentary. Many of the things that we face in our lives, you know, uh, we just throw up our hands and say, God, what are you doing? But he had that eternal perspective in mind. And I love how you bring that out in the book. We are talking with author Jonathan Brentner about his book, The Triumph of the Redeemed. This is a wonderful resource that you need to add to your library uh, because it's a book that you will come back to over and over again because he catalogs for us and outlines why we believe in the premillennial and pre-tribulational rapture of the church and premillennial view of end times events and walks through passage after passage after passage of Scripture and outlines those things for us as pointing to this triumph of the redeemed. You can order a copy by reaching out to our ministry, 1-800-652-1144, or visit us online at swrc.com. And Jonathan, why don't you give us uh, your personal website so that people can connect with your ministry, your blog, and other aspects of your ministry. Okay, my website address is simply jonathanbrentner.com, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-B-R-E-N-T-N-E-R.com. And the website name is jonathanbrentner.com. Friends, you can go to jonathanbrentner.com 
and his website title is Our Journey Home, jonathanbrentner.com. And in the book, as you begin, you openly share a season of brokenness that you went through a one-world perspective that led you to a bout with PTSD. Would you share mm-hmm. part of your story and how Jesus brought you out of that into the two-world perspective? Okay. I'll try to summarize it as best I could. I could easily spend well over an hour going answering that question, but I'll try to shorten it. First of all, I was a pastor out of seminary for six years, and in my second pastorate is where a lot of problems began, and there was much opposition to me in the church and in that home as well. And in the book, I share some of that as well as the betrayal of my best friend and wife at the time. And so it was a very dark time for me. And coming out of that was, it was just very difficult. And I tried to share enough in the book so that you could understand why I ended up with PTSD. But there was so much more that that went on that, that I really couldn't share or can't share now. But a lot of that also centered around just the economic distress that I was in. Even before I turned 40, just before I turned 40, there were two times when after paying my child support at the time and and giving, if someone had encouraged me to get back to giving, there was no money left for groceries or gas for the next two weeks. And that happened two months in a row. But the Lord just kind of graciously came through and eventually he turned my situation around. And really, you know, I include those these things in my book, you know, really to give God the glory. I'm not a victim, and I really needed the affliction that he brought me through, even though it was great. I needed that affliction to help me stand on my own. I needed the opposition that I endured for many years so that I could stand firm in, in my ministry because since I've become an author and since I started writing on my blog, there's been much intense opposition. I was explaining to one pastor why I believed in in the restoration of a kingdom for Israel, and he laughed out loud at me and, and later called me a liar because for really no reason at all. And, and I've had many times where I've been referred to as a false teacher, false prophet, and so and so I see that is really the Lord just had to really strengthen me, and He also had to to take a lot of pride out of my life because I mm. think that coming out of seminary and everything and being a pastor, there was there was pride that the Lord needed to deal with, and He did. It's not that I don't still deal with it, but there are a number of things that helped me come out of my PTSD and. And though it's not as bad as as a lot of army, a lot of veterans from foreign wars experience, it was severe, and it was it was something that a licensed counselor told me that I had after describing my situation to him. But it was these dark times when it seemed like Satan was oppressing me or demons were oppressing me in the middle of the night, and you know I'd wake up in terror. In the book, I describe some of how I went through that, but the key thing was that was the Lord expressing His love to me, and it happened one time, one day, after 
a run. I used to be a runner, and I've been listening to, to Christian songs on the radio, worship songs, and I came back, and I was, I was really feeling a little bit distressed, so I thought, okay, I'm going to spend some time in the closet, literally in a closet, praying to the Lord in the dark. And for some reason, and I'd never done this before, you know, I just asked the Lord, I said, I said, what would you say to me if you were sitting here in the closet next to me? And immediately I felt his response in my soul. I didn't hear anything, but I felt his response was, I love you. And tear, after that, tears kind of flowed down my face, because in that put an end to all the to all the terrors that I had from PTSD. And I know that my story is much different than a lot of others will experience, but it all comes back to the love of the Lord. And that's one of the things that, that I neglected during my time. I really didn't appreciate that the Lord really, truly loved me. And in the book, you also talk about even before this in seminary days and those kinds of things that you had a, a love for Bible prophecy and in your ministry, uh-huh. you would preach and teach about Bible prophecy so often. And so you begin to explain how that understanding a premillennial view of the Bible and Bible prophecy began to give you a two-world perspective that brought hope back into your life. Can you explain that for us a little bit? Well, yes, I love preaching about prophecy and biblical things, and I still like teaching about it, even though my chances to preach haven't been as often as I would hope, but it was more a matter of putting a value on those things. And even though I was preaching about the rapture and providing solid evidence for it, in reality, my heart valued the things of this life. It valued my goals, what I was going to accomplish, where I was going to be. And so the problem was that I had good head knowledge but it really wasn't where my heart was. And that was the problem. I really did not value the things of eternity. And that's why I'm so passionate in the book about it's not just what we know, it's what we value. It's the things of the Bible that that we learn to value. And and I know that it's so hard for Americans, American believers to, to get to that point because really we have it so good and many of us can't imagine heaven being a lot better than what we have here. But we know from the Bible, we know from God's Word that it's going to be much better. And other than that, there's nothing in this life we can hold on to forever. It's going to be gone, hopefully with the rapture, but their lives here don't last forever. But eternity does. And Brother Jonathan, we, we are visiting with Jonathan Brentner, the author of The Triumph of the Redeemed. Mm-hmm. We encourage you to pick up a copy of this book by calling 1-800-652-1144 or by visiting swrc.com. And Jonathan, one of the things that I often see with young people is exactly what you just touched on. And I, I can't tell you over the years how many young people have said, I'm not ready to go to heaven. Yes, I'm saved. Yes, I'm on my way to heaven, but I've got goals. I've got plans. I've got aspirations. Would you consider that, as you call it, the one-world perspective instead of the two-world perspective? Yep, I I believe I would consider that. And it's it's understandable how someone with who's young and healthy and has their life before them 
and they don't understand that heaven is going to be so much better. And I think the fault lies with a lot of pastors today and that they don't explain how glorious heaven will be and how glorious things will be. And even when I, back when I preached about prophecy, it was more the mechanical about why, this, why we believe this, and it really didn't emphasize the over-the-top joys and delights and wonders of heaven that, that are ahead for us. And, and Terry James and I just finished a rough manuscript of a book called Hereafter is Better Than You Can Imagine. Mm. And in that book, we really go into the over-the-top joys we'll have. And we describe the wonders of reigning with Christ. What will it be like in heaven when we have our immortal bodies and we're in, in heaven and can move so freely around and we're reigning with Jesus and all the glories of that and all the glories of the eternal state as well. And see, it's, it's all those things that bring us so much joy. And so even if you're young and you think, oh, I have my whole life before me, I want to get married, I want to have children and grandchildren and retire, please know that, that heaven will be so much better. And if the Lord cuts short your aspirations by, by rapturing you up to heaven, you will have no regrets. It'll be so over-the-top wonderful, better than anything you can imagine. And I really believe that. That's powerful teaching, and we are so glad that you could join us today, Jonathan, and we are looking forward to being with you again tomorrow. Okay, well, thanks so much for having me. I look forward to talking to you again. Friends, we encourage you to join us again tomorrow because we're going to jump into more of the content of this powerful book, The Triumph of the Redeemed, as we discuss Bible prophecy and how God is working to bring about the triumph of the redeemed in our world today. Micah Van Huss is back to explore another Marginal Mystery. Check out the new Marginal Mysteries website by visiting marginalmysteries.com. That's marginalmysteries.com. There you'll find links to the Marginal Mysteries YouTube channel and social media feeds. Here's Marginal Mysteries producer Micah Van Huss. Last time on Watchmen on the Wall with Marginal Mysteries, we talked about the Knights Templar, the history of the Knights Templar, and their treks across the world after they became the Order of Christ in Portugal, after King Philip IV of France persecuted the Templars because he wanted their wealth. So here we are, uh, the Knights Templar spread across the world through uh, Portuguese sail ships. We find uh, Knights Templar symbolism and treasures all over the world. They even had a little bit to do with the founding of Freemasonry and the the founding of the United States of America we talked a little bit about last time. But today we're going to talk about the treasures and relics of the Templars. So the king, Bernard, he gave Solomon's temple to the Templars when they first became in order, and the Templars dug, excavated Solomon's temple where they found vast treasures, and possibly some of the artifacts. Now, not only was King Solomon a wise man, but he was extremely wealthy. Origin theories of the Templars' vast treasures speculate that the Templars found much of Solomon's riches in their Temple Mount excavations. Now, no confirmation of Solomon's treasure has been seen since the Romans destroyed it in the Jewish rebellion of 70 AD. So they continue to point out um, that this Code talking about 
in the painting and the carving in Scotland. It leads to all kinds of different theories, but the letters can be rearranged to say Nova Scotia, fitting perfectly into the number of characters in the DM code. Of course, Nova Scotia is in the Americas. So if read, remove the R where the shepherd's thumb is, is smudging it out. Arcadia then becomes Acadia. Now, what's interesting is Acadia is the old French name for Nova Scotia. So, did the treasure of the Knights Templar escape King Philip IV and make its way to the Americas? Now, the Templars had ships based at La Rochelle on the west coast of France before the Friday the 13th arrest of the Templars in 1307, so it's quite possible that some of the treasure was taken there. A fascinating thing about Nova Scotia is the local natives. Their tribe symbol is actually a red cross on a white field. They add a star and a crescent moon, but of course the red cross on the white field is the symbol of the Knights Templar. So what is a Canadian Native American symbol doing looking almost identical to the Knights Templar? It sure leads evidence, gives evidence that the Knights Templar were in the Americas doing something. When we go to Nova Scotia, if you've seen the show The Curse of Oak Island, that's generally what this show is about. It's called what they're digging for at Oak Island. is called the Money Pit. Um, the Money Pit has attracted dozens of hunters, treasure hunters, starting from the 1850s. Just a fascinating topic if you do want to check out the Curse of Oak Island. Now, quickly, let's get into some of the holy relics that the Knights Templar are said to have acquired and protected from the Holy Grail, which was supposedly the cup that Christ used at the Last Supper. According to extra-biblical text, Joseph uses that cup to catch the blood from Jesus' side as the Roman soldier spears him. The German poet Wolfram von Eschenbach, while writing stories about King Arthur in his work Percival, he includes knights called the Tempelsine as guardians of the mysterious Holy Grail. Now, this story is the first time in history the cup is mentioned after the account in the New Testament, over 1,100 years before. While strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government, Arthurian legend is infamous. So there is no confirmation that King Arthur was a real person, but the story of his knights and their search for the Holy Grail is relevant here. So, is the fact that King Arthur's knights are depicted as holy warriors who pursue spiritual quests a coincidence? Or was Eschenbach modeling them after the Templars? Be sure to check us out on MarginalMysteries.com. And if you want to read the story about the Knights Templar and the Secret Societies, be sure to check out my upcoming book, Secret Society's Blood Never Sleeps. Again, that's MarginalMysteries.com. You can order your copy of Jonathan Brentner's book, The Triumph of the Redeemed, for your gift of $20 to Southwest Radio Ministries by calling us at 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online at swrc.com. Join us again tomorrow as we continue our discussion on Triumph of the Redeemed with Jonathan Brentner. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading the SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. Visit our website, swrc.com. There you'll find the latest headlines from the End Times video with Dr. Larry Spargimino, our latest Watchmen on the Wall programs, and timely articles that will inform and strengthen your faith. And while you're there, check out our extensive archive of past programs, 
and the Resource Center filled with over 1,000 books and DVDs. SWRC.com. That's SWRC.com. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit SWRC.com.